0: Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio.
1: Welcome back ladies and gentlemen to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Nick Hill. I'm joined today and every Tuesday and Friday morning by my dear friend and real estate aficionado, Daniel Foch.
2: I don't know if I've made it to that point yet, but my name is Daniel Foch. I'm a real estate something, broker, <laughs> investor, a couple other things. Today, we're joined here by a, a pre-construction aficionado. Is that how you I say that know. word? Guy by the name of uh, Precon Don. The Wolf of Woodbine. Yeah, we mentioned him a couple <laughs> of times on the show, and we've wanted to have him on here. We've wanted to talk about pre-construction. We got a lot of people asking us to talk about pre-construction, and I think... If you've been listening to the show for a while, you probably know my perspective on it, but I do think that, you know, it's, I probably have unfa- painted it a little bit unfairly. And so we wanted to fully and exhaustively sort of explore how to make money in pre-construction, if it's possible to make money in pre-construction and, and how to do it right if we're going to. And so we felt compelled to bring on a person who I think is exceptionally qualified to talk about the, the topic and who is that and what
1: has he done? I Me, mean, actually, his actual name is is not pre Condom, which would be way cooler. Um, he should legally change it to that, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, Jordan Skrinko. So you're right, Dan. We have not talked about pre-construction, let alone we've barely talked about condos other than the sense of maybe MTRs and STRs and kind of Airbnbs. And, you know, we really focus on more multifamily or. Let's say, you know, investment opportunities where you actually can buy the land and, you know, not, not just a, a box in the sky, but there are some pretty great opportunities and Jordan Skrinko is here to tell us all about them. He is an expert in a number of things, pre-construction being one of them, but also in lead generation and building sales funnels. He's got a great background in technology. He probably made one of the, mo- the my favorite pieces of content ever, Dan, and I know you know what I'm talking about. the investigation series where he went like literally like ten twenty layers deeper than I've ever seen anyone go for a tenant screening so we 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 chat about that a little bit he, he literally shut he shut
2: down it. A- a tenant fraud company did you know that like the the company actually ceased to exist after that yeah so like so like there's these companies where you could like tenants and people were i think using this for mortgage fraud as well could get like fake job letters and all of this stuff and he like full did a full expose on it and then that that fake company like disappeared from existence (laughs) thereafter
1: i did not know that that makes the story even better so um Without further ado, this is our deep dive into what is pre-construction. We look at the whole process. Uh, we look at why you pay a premium, how to pick a good project, what goes, what happens when a project goes south, you know, a buy and hold strategy and different types of strategies. And this is all with Jordan Skrinko, the founder of Precondo, which is the third largest pre-construction website in Canada. So
2: generally qualified individuals to be talking about this stuff. So I'm
1: looking forward to this one. Let's go. Enjoy. Jordan Skrinko, the pre con Don. Welcome to the podcast. Start off by maybe making an offer you can't refuse. No, I'm just kidding. Where did you get that nickname? I I believe that nickname actually came from you. (laughs) But you go by a few other names, don't you? What is you've got a great Twitter handle as well.
0: Yeah, I've got Megabull, Precondon, a few uh, associated nicknames just to let Twitter know uh, what I think of the future of the condo market. <laughs> and that is obviously what we are here to talk about today. So
1: Jordan, maybe we'll start off at the very beginning here. Um, why don't you give us a high level view of what is
0: reconstruction and maybe just walk us through the whole process start to finish sure yeah so we'll go through a 101 course here as quickly as i can pre-construction is exactly what it sounds like you are buying the right to own a a property when it is constructed built complete ready to move in and it's important to note that distinction between you're buying a property and you're buying the right to own a property because that is ultimately what pre-construction is you're just buying a contract with a developer that says, I'm paying this much for this asset that's going to be ready, hopefully by this date. And when it is ready, I'm going to get title transferred from the developer to me. And so what essentially when you're buying pre-construction, you're just putting down deposits on a property that's going to be ready in the future. If that's freehold, it might be ready in a year or two. If that's condos, it might be ready in five, six, maybe 10 years, depending on how slow the developer is, what kind of construction delays there are. Um, but ultimately the goal is uh, hopefully that thing does get built and the promises get delivered on, which is important, right? When choosing a pre-construction property, you want to be careful about the developer you choose because ultimately that will affect quality. And, you know, if you actually get the product at the end. Um, and so essentially that's how it goes. You, you go walk into a sales center, you put you know, your first $5,000 check down, then over the next year or two years or three years, you're going to have a scheduled deposit structure to gradually bring you up to 15 or 20% down. And then three, four, five years down the line, your condo's ready for occupancy. You get the keys to the unit, you uh, pay your interim occupancy fees for a period of six to 12 months, we'll call it. And then you close on the property, you start your mortgage, your lender transfers that money to the developer, and now you get the title transfer and the unit is yours.
2: So, wow. you're, so you're basically scalping options contracts. You're functionally the Wall Street bets of real estate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> more or less. Yeah. More or less That's what you're doing. You're buying a futures contract on real estate in a way. Cool. There you go. Everybody who's looking for some
2: high speed speculation, the Wall Street bets of real estate. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to, I don't want (laughs) to undersell the importance of what you do because I do, I think that, you know, and quickly and not to get too far into the weeds here, there's an important role that pre construction investors play in the capital stack of developing real estate. And investors in pre construction are really necessary to get housing supply built because they're taking on a lot of the risk by basically putting up a portion of the equity that developers ultimately use. So when you're a pre-construction purchaser, you buy it, you give it that deposit, like Jordan just said, and the developer, if they're registered with Tarion, and we've seen a couple of, uh, you know, wishy-washy iterations of things happening with these deposits lately that we won't get into on this episode. But um, if if they're registered with Tarion, they can insure that deposit, which protects you and them. And now they can borrow against that deposit as if it's project equity. So this this forms part of the capital stack that helps them go go secure construction financing. And developers often have to hit a pre-construction sales target of 70% of the units in order to get their pre-construction or their construction financing to allow them to build the project. Because it's not like single family detached homes where you can sell one and then build it right away. You can't do that with condos. You got to build a whole tower. So you got to sell a bunch of them before the, the lender is comfortable giving you money. Um, so what is your role in, in that supply chain? What do you do at pre-condo? And as a, I think it was one of your Twitter handles was a, a, an, a options
0: condo futures trader. Is that what it was? Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so essentially our role is to match, um, To match product type to clientele, right? So clients come to us, they say, Hey, I'm looking for a condo. I want to downsize. I want to upsize. I want to invest. Maybe I want to buy for my children's future, whatever the case is. I'm looking for an investment property. I'm looking, you know, I'm looking for this type of condo. What's out there? And we go to our relationships with developers and we find the condo that kind of suits their goals or best suits their goals. um, And we facilitate that that uh that transaction and then of course there's a lot of stuff that happens on the back end in the future if you're going to rent it out we manage that for you you know if you want to sell it before closing we'll also manage that for you so it's it's really just our role at pre-condo is finding people the right product educating them on the things they need to be aware of because as you mentioned Dan pre-construction has a lot of risks a lot of brokers like to paint over that fact but the reality is projects get canceled every single month things go south really quickly especially with smaller development But, you know, large developers aren't immune to those problems either. Um, And so that's essentially our goal is educating, educating our clientele on what they need to know when investing in preconstruction, presenting them with multiple options, and then helping them actually go through with that transaction. So essentially, we market the projects. um, And then we just we find clients what they're looking for. Yeah, really, really cool. Uh, there's
1: there's a few questions I, I want to ask you about your business because it sounds like that's probably not the typical structure of someone that that sells pre-construction. Correct me if I'm wrong, but a nice end-to-end service like that for investors where you bring them opportunities, you place them there. But not only that, after that transaction's done, the unit is completed, you're able to manage it for them. Can we talk about that for a second? Like you're you're finding tenants, placing them, and and running that investment for them and then finding them an exit strategy
0: at some point as well. What is what does that look like? Well, ultimately the thing is, especially particularly if someone's looking to invest in pre-construction condos, it's just good business at the end of the day, because the best way to make more money is Is actually just to increase the lifetime value of your of your customer. So if you make them a lot of money and make it as seamless and as stress free as possible for them to do that, they're more likely to transact with you again in the future. So we find things like vetting, you know, vetting tenants rather than just saying, "Hey, go post your unit on Kijiji, figure it out, rent it for yourself" is far better because they're less likely to get a nightmare tenant. We control more end to end, right? Um, And then, of course, with pre construction, the interesting thing is, at least in Toronto. There's something called platinum brokers, right? So when, when a new tower is launching, let's say it's a really attractive one, like let's say it's in Hamilton and starting in the three, $400,000 range. So you know, there's going to be more buyers than there actually is units what developers do to get around that is they actually only allow 50 to 70 to 100 brokers to sell the project and those are called their platinum brokers and so by keeping those relationships we can make sure that our clients are getting first access to you know sort of the first day launch prices at a building um and so that's really that's really in a, in a nutshell what it looks like So yeah, makes sense. I guess it is worth
2: worth mentioning that you do include full scale private investigation services in that tenant screening process, which we have mentioned on the show.
1: (laughs) Oh, for anyone that remembers that, we went through Jordan's whole probably the deepest dive into uh, into a tenant like Inspector Gadget shit. That was a rental application fraud. Incredible, yeah. Uh, um, maybe we'll put a link to that in the show. Notes yeah, for this I'll, one. I'll, I'll find out so what good. episode that's from for sure. Yeah, I think that was yeah.
0: probably my favorite piece of content I've ever produced, but you know, it's funny. Like that's just one of them. It, it's interesting. And I bet you guys can speak to this as well. In the last two years or so, the percentage of fraudulent applications that we've gotten um, for rental applications has gone through the roof. It used to be maybe one in 10, one in 20, and now one in three or one in four of the applications I'm getting, I'm very quickly finding out that these aren't real job letters, right?
2: It was, um, episode 69, by the way, Treb stats and, uh, and rental fraud update. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So, so high level then here, Let's maybe chat about how this differs from like, you know, my perspective on, on pre-construction investing. Um, there's obviously multiple different exit strategies. One is the one that I think is marketed a lot on TikTok as kind of like the be all and end all of pre-construction investing, which is really more again, probably scalping option contracts and very speculative. So can we kind of go through the full scope of like, what are the ways that you, that an individual can make money? In pre-construction real estate investing. Do you
0: mean theoretically or in practice?
2: Uh, th- in, let's go theoretically. And then you can erase the ones that yeah. probably theoretically have a okay. low likelihood of working and we can get to okay. the in-practice portion.
0: All right. So theoretically, one of the ones that, as you said, that's most marketed on TikTok is the idea of buying a pre-construction unit today. You know, your occupancy is going to be five years in the future, right? So you, you pay today's price. You put your 10, 15% down on that property over the next two or three years with the idea that you're never actually going to close, assume a mortgage and rent the unit out. The dream here being, you know, I'm going to capitalize. I'm going to be leveraged in the property market for the next five years. And then right before this building closes, I'm going to flip this contract at a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars profit to a purchaser because the resale market has lifted so much in the interim that I have all this margin. So rather than deal with the headache of a tenant rather than deal with coming up with closing costs and coming up with a mortgage, I'm just going to flip this contract right before closing and make a ton of money. And sure, there are people in the past who have done this quite successfully. I mean, I have clients of mine who have made uh, disgusting returns on assignments. But the reality is that when you're buying pre-construction today, you're not paying fair market value. And when I say fair market value, I mean resale market value. Today's price. Today's price, right? The intrinsic value of that property that you're buying if you look at a pre-construction launch and say, the downtown core right now, and it's coming out at, let's say, $1,500 a square foot, just for argument's sake and for rough numbers, you'll definitely be able to find resale condos directly across the street in a two-year-old, well-managed building for $1,200 a foot, right? So you're paying a massive premium for the right to buy that pre-construction property. So the reality is that the resale market has to lift, not for you to make money, but for you to actually break even right? So there's already there's already a lag there. And then in addition to that, assignments are very hard to liquidate because nine, 90% of them, you're not allowed to advertise them on MLS. So they have to be advertised literally via WhatsApp groups, Facebook groups, and on Kijiji. So you can imagine that the, it's very hard to find a solid buyer at a $200,000 profit for an assignment property because it can only be marketed in very limited ways. So, okay. And so what would you estimate is
2: the success rate of that type of investing? Like maybe we can apply this to each of them because I think there's three ways maybe the next one would be selling it, I guess, on completion, but assignment flipping likelihood of making money less than 50% Uh, right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now what's a method of making
0: money in pre-construction investing number two? Well, I guess number two would be selling right after completion. The downside to this is you incur all of your closing costs, right? So you incur your double land transfer tax. You're going to pay ten to fifteen thousand dollars in development charges. You're going to pay a thousand to two thousand dollars in legal fees. Now, the issue is if you turn around and sell that property right after you close on it, you're going to hit. You're going to get hit with twenty four thousand dollars in HST. Wow. Um, and you're not going to get it back. The only way to get that back as an investor in pre-construction is to rent it out for a one-year term and file the rental HST rebate with the with the federal government. And so the problem with doing this is, well, now you have that $24,000 that you never recover. So that's going to affect the bottom line, right? So you're going to pay that $24,000 plus your closing costs then you're going to profit whatever you profit and you're going to pay capital gains on that as well. So yeah, I mean, you can make some money, but it's certainly not going to look that fantastic on a returns basis when you do when you turn around and, and sell it like that. Okay. So success rate on making money,
2: selling the unit as soon as it's completed, or basically buying to sell it just over
0: 50%, maybe between 50 and 70%? You'll make some money for okay. sure. Right. Um, if you're closing today, you know, you probably purchased in twenty eighteen. And I was looking, you know, I just had eighty clients close on a building in Etobicoke over the last couple of months and I was looking at what my clients paid versus what the unit is selling for in the resale market today. And I'll just, you know, one example, I remember selling a bunch of a stack of one bedrooms for anywhere between $379,000 and $400,000. They are wow. now trading on the resale market for just under $600,000. So those people did incredibly well. Yeah, that's not bad. when you When you base your returns on the deposit amount, which was only 20%, right? Okay. And then
2: the final method is, I'm guessing, to buy and rent.
0: Yeah. Okay. My favorite. The buy and hold. Right. Yes. We um, can agree I on the one, I one of
2: us. What's that? <laughs> yeah, the one yeah, of yeah. us
0: chant. <laughs> Yeah, I think this makes the most amount of sense. You have to look at all of the risk in pre construction. You have to look at the fact that you're paying a premium, right? You're going to pay a 10 to 30% premium to buy pre construction over intrinsic market value today. The benefit of that is you're only going to put down 5% a year for the next four years. And so your leverage is incredibly high. You don't have to have your 20% plus closing costs today. You don't have to have a mortgage today or a tenant today. And you've got that five six years in the market before you even have to close on this thing. So you probably close in a positive equity situation, but realistically, buy hold. And unless something's going terribly wrong with the condo, you know, special assessments, maintenance fees skyrocketing, whatever um, rare you know problems arise in brand new buildings. I don't really see a good argument for selling it because now you free up this capital, you pay an immense amount of taxes, right? You already paid a lot in closing fees. And now you have all this cash sitting there to what? To pivot into another investment property? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah.
2: Okay. I mean, it makes uh, like that logic checks out. And then eventually, I guess down the road, you could liquidate if you wanted to um, and still realize the the capital appreciation. So Likelihood of making money in this one. And and I know it's probably a subjective answer, but would you say it, because it would depend on the project, which I think we're going to get to next, but w- would you say this is the highest likelihood method of making money in pre-construction investing? Without
0: a doubt. Okay. Greater than 70%? For sure. Greater than 70%. Okay. And it also, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it just depends how far we stretch our time horizon. Right. And also right. I guess like a variety of other things, like how far you're leverage point
2: is as an investor like more you know micro deal pieces that depend right. on the individual investor. Okay.
1: Yeah, maybe also what kind of you know STR, MTR, LTR, you know, sexy Airbnb all that kind of good stuff. Um I want to jump over to the project now that we've covered you know the three ways to invest and to exit and to make money. Let's talk about let's go co- let's take it back and talk about the premium that you've mentioned a bunch of times, right? You're paying 10 to 20% the builder is already baked in those costs. So how do you choose the product project and how do you choose the builder? And, and what's, what are some of the red flags maybe that you're, you know, you're always looking at buying at a premium, but some of the price per square foot numbers that we're seeing these days just seem to be crazy. So, you know, how do you determine which one is crazy and which one is going to be a good investment?
0: Yeah. So picking between the losers and winners is tough. Um, but the first thing I tell everybody when they, you know, when they meet with me or someone from my team is always invest in a developer before a development, right? Um, there's a reason, there's a reason I have a ton of clients who buy investment an investment condo or two with me every single year, but only from Tridel. They have never ventured outside of that family. Why? right? Because Tridel consistently delivers on their promises, has incredible customer care. Yes, you pay a little bit of what we call the Tridel premium to do that, but you know the condo is going to complete, right? You know it's going to get some of the highest resale values in the neighborhood that it's in because they consistently do. And you know that it's going to be well-managed because they always are. Um, And so- Buying into a developer before development is super important. There's a lot of sexy new developers on the block that put out beautiful renderings, but if your condo building doesn't get complete, sure, you get your deposits back, but they've been sitting there for three or four years. Yeah. You get penalty interest, but it's peanuts compared to the appreciation in the market in the meantime. Yeah. Or any kind of opportunity cost that you could have had with with that capital, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So pick the developer first and then from a premium perspective, you need to understand the premium you're paying first and foremost, right? To be okay with it. like That's super important. I find a lot of people buying pre-construction actually don't know that they're paying a premium to the resale market. They have no idea. So it's super important to pull open condos.ca or House Sigma and look at some recently sold buildings or recently sold units, sorry. And the important thing is to compare apples to apples. So some people will look at a condo launch in downtown or in Yorkville, for example, and they'll say, this is 1800 a square foot. It doesn't make any sense to buy this because the average price per square foot I'm being told for downtown condos is a thousand a foot. And it's like, sure, but that's rolling in 40 year old condo buildings in Moss park. Okay. So what you want to do is you want to look at a building directly across the street or in the exact same neighborhood in the vicinity. That's two, three, four years old is comparable and fit and finish and see what units are actually selling for there right? Because there are buildings in Yorkville that have resale units trading north of 1500 a foot. So you want to be able to contextualize what premium I'm paying to be able to try to justify it. And if you can't justify it, then that's an opportunity you pass on.
2: Can we talk a little bit about, I think, time horizon of this type of investment? So I think like one of the big advantages to Reconstruction investing is people like that you can spread out your cash investment over multiple years. So like, can we talk a little bit about a typical deposit structure, maybe in, in a hotter market? Can we talk about a compelling deposit structure today? The ones that are maybe being used as tactics to attract a lot of people, what you, what you should be looking for. Um, and then also how long does it actually take once you've fully submitted your deposits to, you know, to actually get the project done. And then from there, maybe just we can start discussing like how to, like what would be the perfect criteria of what is a good project, you know, less broadly and more like specifically.
0: Sure. Yeah. So there are all kinds of different deposit structures. And of course it does vary depending on how hot the market is and how much extra juice they need to push through marketing <laughs> channels to be able to actually those, get this product get to a nice renderings right? out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the nicer renderings, especially amenities. Right. Um, so I I would say like a standard deposit structure is 15% over two or three years, and then 5% on occupancy. Something like that is pretty normal right now. Um, you know, you have some builders who never budge on deposit structure, you know, it's 5% every six months. So you have 20% down in two years and there's no changing that, uh, regardless of what the market is. Uh, and then of course you have, you have the other side of that coin where you have some developers who are so focused on, on on getting their units to absorb what they would rather do is increase their price a little bit but have, you know, 5% down this year, 5% down next year and then nothing until occupancy in 5 years. And that's really attractive to a lot of investors because they're like, wow, you know, I can put 10% down on a $500,000 condo that's not going to be ready for 5 years. I can worry about the other 10% and the closing and the mortgage. In five years, who doesn't have 50K laying around? But a lot of the time, those aren't necessarily the best deals in terms of actual intrinsic value of the property versus resale. And maybe the developer doesn't align with kind of what you're looking for in terms of buying the right product at the right time. Now, is that a strategy that different
1: developers use to attract different kinds of investors, right? I mean, what you're saying I think would be very attractive to – Someone who's maybe got a chunk of money now, but then, you know, to get in that first 10, 20%, whatever it may be, or sorry, that first 10% over the course of, you know, the first year and then not having to pay something for another couple of years, that seems a bit more attainable. Um, What is that based off of those that based off of like the construction draw that the builder needs or why the variation in, in some of these payment schedules?
0: Uh, for sure. Some part of it is is based on lenders, right? So construction lenders and what they can get on their financing. And so if they can do lower deposit structures, they will. But also you have some developers who are concerned about doing lower deposit structures because they want more end users than investors into their projects. Mm-hmm. They specifically try to go after that end, user tar- that end user segment with slightly larger units, more aggressive deposit structures, um, slightly higher end finishes. And then of course you have your other developers who are not interested in end users at all. And they just focus on the smallest possible units we can build the lowest possible deposit structure um, because that's that, that the crowd that they're trying to appeal
1: to. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So you mentioned, you know, there's obviously a ton of variables that go into this and we've seen a lot of volatility in the market the last couple of years, especially in the last year. What, happens when a project goes south? Because you said this happens all the time. And I don't think that, you know, people in the real world realize that that's happening all the time. So walk us through maybe what does that mean? And then when does it get to the point where it's bad and actually has an effect on people that have invested?
0: Yeah, sure. So sometimes what happens is a developer will and there's a multitude of reasons that I don't want to paint with a broad brush here and say this is the only reason projects get canceled because it's not the truth. But a common reason that we see projects get canceled is they get sold before they have final approvals. And so they can't actually Mm. break ground yet. And maybe they pre-sold the whole building. So they have no inventory left. So they sell a hundred percent of the tower, everything's sold. So they have no way. To increase revenue. Because if you hold back 20% of the building and sell that at a higher price in two years, well, you have a way to increase your profit margin. But if you've sold the whole building and you're waiting on approvals, and let's say they come a little bit later than you expected, and construction costs have gone up in the interim, well, it's possible you f- you fall below a certain margin uh, profit margin on the project. Well, the problem with that is construction loans aren't going to be handed out unless you hit a minimum profit target right? So what happens is they can no longer get the the bank to finance them building this building. They have no avenues to increase revenue, increase that margin. So now they have no chance but to cancel. And of course, you also have cancellations because some developers just realize that it's more profitable for them to cancel than to actually build. Um, but a lot of developers out there are trying to protect their name and their reputation so they don't go around doing that. Um, a lot of the time, it just comes down to the economics of the building itself. Now, if a project does cancel... The great thing about condos specifically is that Tarion insures a percentage and then anything above that amount is insured by something called excess condominium deposit insurance. So 100% of your deposits are insured, um, which isn't exactly the case for freehold, but 100% of your deposits are insured. So you do get them refunded. But again, like you mentioned earlier, opportunity cost, and you could have been sitting waiting for this condo to be built Uh, for three years. Now it's canceled. Here's your money plus 10K. Well, it doesn't really do you any good. Yeah. I had a few
1: friends that that's happened to, and it's just a, it's a brutal situation because, you know, now you're dealing with today's prices instead of the prices that you had bought it for, even though it was baked in, you know, you, you still feel like you missed out. Yeah. Especially if you're relying
2: on it, like on that investment. And I guess it just doesn't really necessarily make sense for somebody who is relying on it for their core investment. It's like really more, it seems to be more of a diversification play too for a lot of investors. Um, You know, I think there's other instances, maybe more in the low rise side, but where developers will go back to the purchasers to ask for more money. They'll basically say like, hey, this project's not viable. If you want to make it viable, like if you still want us to give you your house, um, you got to give us another 100K. Are those days kind of behind us? Like that seemed like really like a force majeure kind of like COVID happening and more in the low rise space, I think.
0: Definitely more in the low rise space. Um, I think it, I'm hoping that those days are over. Right. Yeah. I guess it was just people dealing with construction cost
2: volatility as well. Um, Can we talk a little bit about the differences and pros and cons between investing in pre-construction versus what we do primarily, which is more resale, buy and hold, um, you know, multiplex rental property stuff and why somebody might decide to invest in pre-construction rather
0: than the more traditional real estate investing route? A lot of it comes down to headache and stress, right? So I find like the fastest growing segment of investors from our list, and we sell you know a few hundred of these condos every single year, the fastest growing for the last five years and probably the dominant investor pool that we still see buying is people buying for their children. Like that's the most common reason, right? And so it's a beautiful thing to be able to buy a property and not deal with it for six, seven, eight years. Like that's really nice. You buy when right? your kid's it's in high school, powerless. and
1: by the time they're a young adult or whatever, they're yeah, they can move in, and they can even pay the parent rent for a little bit if they want.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, look, I wish I wish my parents did it. Right, yeah. it would have it would have gotten me jump started a lot quicker. Um, but but yeah, that's the most common reason that I see people still investing in pre construction today is they're buying for their children. Does the timeline fit um, that
2: relatively well? Sorry to interrupt you there, but like you know, if it's like six years to completion, probably in a lot of cases, when you're putting a deposit down, mm-hmm. kids 10, yeah, you know, the, get, they can gap it when
0: they're done university, maybe rent it out for a couple of years when they're, until they're done university. Exactly. It's a good way to buy time. You buy today's prices more or less. Obviously there's a premium baked in, but you're buying at what you view as lower prices versus the future. And you don't have to deal with it for a while. And then you rent it out for however many years until the kid is ready to move it, then,
2: don't right? I, yeah. Yeah, I guess in that instance you still have to deal with the LTB and stuff like that. But in a lot of cases, is it people trying to get away from kind of some of the headaches of landlording? And
0: I guess even it's a big part of the reason. I mean, you also have to remember that a condo building has a property manager right. on site. Mm-hmm. Your maintenance fees literally pay for that, so you don't hear at, like we manage quite a few doors for our for our clients, and like I we don't hear from tenants very rarely. Oh, um, that must be they
2: nice, just go man. direct to property management. So really, the only management. Items that you would have are
1: based around payment, I would say, more or less. yeah, I mean, you've you've got a garbage chute, you've got underground parking. There's no cutting of grass or shoveling of snow. There's no I got to redo the roofs. So you don't really even have like a capex. I mean, the calculations are are a hell of a lot different. Now, mind you, I have seen some condo fees, uh, and on the mortgage side, we see you know very high condo fees can be a deal killer. So you're not out of the weeds there, but it's, you know, it's a different problem to have. Um, what are, what would you say some of the main negatives, the main cons of investing in? I mean, it's not perfect, but, you know, neither is what we do. There's no such thing as a perfect investment. So what would be some of the downfalls or maybe not even the downfalls, but maybe some of the major risks for, for especially someone new that may be exploring this, you know, they, they're trying to get into that first rung of the housing ladder. And maybe that is a pre-construction condo.
0: I mean, honestly, I think the biggest con is the price premium. Mm-hmm. Really. Like I think the biggest con to buying pre-construction is uh, is the fact that you have to be willing to swallow the, the swallow the pill of I'm going to pay too much for this, right? Um, and so the truth of the matter is that if you have your 20% plus closing costs and you can arrange a mortgage today, honest to God, you are probably five times better buying a resale unit, right? You fast forward 10 years. And you go, who did better? The guy who bought the resale, the one-year-old resale unit across the street, or the guy who bought the pre-construction at day one VIP pricing? Most likely, the person who bought the resale did better in 10 years. Okay, right? That's just the way it works when you're paying a 10, 20, 30% premium um, for, a, for a new product. Yeah. So that's the biggest con is just the premium. Um Another con would obviously be risk of cancellation, but you can mitigate that risk to not zero, but almost zero by picking very carefully who you invest in, making sure the site's fully zoned and approved, um, and just understanding product types. right? Um, and I would say another con is probably not understanding your closing costs. So I find a fair amount of people buy pre-construction condos, and when you buy a condo You're given 10 calendar days by law to back out of that agreement with, with no penalty, right? The amount of people that don't then turn around and send that long, you know, that hundred page agreement of purchase and sale to a lawyer who specializes in pre-construction and can break down their closing costs almost to the penny. It's crazy how many people don't send these contracts to a lawyer. Like it's, it's sort of unbelievable. And so sometimes. People come to me on closing, not people who have used me, because I always refer to my two favorite pre-construction lawyers, and they break it down in an Excel sheet. Say this is what your closing costs are going to be. Um, the amount of people are like, "Who? Well, I got hit with sixty thousand dollars development charges. Pre-construction is such a scam." And it's like, "No, you were given ten days to make sure that you made the amendment request to the builder to cap that fee. You just didn't do. You you just didn't do wow, it. Wow, that's right? crazy." So, yeah, I mean.
1: And this is why I think for, for pre-construction, I mean, pre-con- I think people love the tangibility of real estate. They love being able to drive by it, walk into it, touch it, feel it, smell it, whatever. So, you know, pre-construction, not having that access to the physical asset of real estate for a long time, I think can can throw a lot of people, right? Kind of out of sight, out of mind, which is is great if it's a passive investment, but pre-construction isn't a passive investment until maybe it's, you know, completed and rented out. And then still, you know, we can talk about how passive it is. Maybe if you're running it it's passive for the people, but this is, you know, it's, it's little nuances like that, that, that I think is, is so important. And one of the reasons I wanted to cover the basics today, because people go in, and, you know, the dream is really being sold online by some pre-construction agents, just like it is with other people's money and, you know, all the other BS that we deal with on maybe more our side of investing, which is, you know, as Dan was saying, small multifamily, et cetera. Um, you know, you really desperately need to have someone who is like good at what they do and knows the market and knows the nuances, like you need a lawyer to break this down or else you will likely get hit with X cost, whatever. So I mean that, that's I also don't, to me. it, just, it
2: surprises me that the OSC hasn't gone after realtors guaranteeing returns and stuff like that.
0: Oh but- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean these things are like the, some of the pro formas I, I I've seen sent out from from some of my colleagues or competitors, whatever you want to call them, are really interesting. Like you've got pro forma showing ten percent appreciation per year for twenty five years. Right. It's, it's just fascinating stuff, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the last thing that we can discuss is you know when we talked about pre construction, you know, and maybe being advantageous to not have to deal with tenant issues think that's very much an Ontario problem because a lot of people don't want to deal with the landlord and tenant board in Ontario because it's really bad, but it's not exceptionally bad in other places in Canada. Um, And one of the ones that's exceptionally popular that has a good landlord and tenant board is the province of Alberta, more specifically Calgary. Um, Is the the pre-construction process the same across the country and is is there other opportunity to do this kind of thing here? I mean, you can even talk about in the U S like Miami pre-sales the same way, I think, um, or Florida, I think um, other places in Canada, like, is there other opportunity that, you know, people are thinking about and where are, you know, this is maybe your, your, your point to pitch something like, where are the opportunities if somebody were to call you and be like, I, you know, even I want to take all those risks. I want to, I want to invest in pre-construction. What's the project you're pitching to me?
0: Uh, it really depends on the on the individual. Right. Like it really like I I honestly firmly believe I I look at Toronto downtown Toronto as sort of a blue chip, right? Mm-hmm. Um, But it comes with some costs, particularly negative cash flow. If someone's looking for something that's neutral or positive cash flow, you're looking at areas like Calgary, where developers have figured out we can sell massive amounts of pre construction condos to Toronto investors by promising two years free rental guarantee, uh, two years property management. They can still get one bedrooms in the three hundred thousands. There is no, you know, it, it is very friendly place for landlords. Like there's all these pros to investing in Calgary. Um, ham- <clears throat> excuse me, Hamilton is uh, is a really popular one as well because you can still get into Hamilton pre construction condos for about a thousand bucks a square foot. So on an entry level one bedroom in Hamilton, you're going to pay about two twenty to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars less than an entry level one bedroom in the downtown core. But your rent is only going to be about two hundred dollars less a month, right? Mm-hmm. So your carry cost is twelve hundred bucks a month less. But your rent is only two thousand dollars a month, uh, or two hundred dollars a month less. So Hamilton makes a lot of sense as well. And then, um, you know, we're uh, we're actually about to launch a one hundred and sixty unit uh, or one hundred and sixty unit uh, lot and home um, pre construction property in Costa Rica. Yes, uh, I wanted to ask you about this before we finish yeah, yeah. up here.
1: So from Toronto to Calgary
0: to Costa Rica, very Pura Vida of you, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's beautiful down there. (laughs) Really is. Nothing nothing brings the family together like a Costa Rican property. I bet. bet. Yeah. Uh, um, You know, forget about Muskoka. Buy yourself something for one fourth the cost uh, down in in Costa Rica. And the short-term rental numbers down there are just absolutely insane. You're talking 20% cash on cash. Wow. 25% 25% um in some cases. Now, the downside to it is, of course, there is no leverage, right? It is an all-cash cash market. Cash, it is a yeah. low liquidity market, or historically it's been a low liquidity market, but the amount of influx from uh Canadians and Americans over the last three years has been immense. So obviously, right now it's it's not necessarily low liquidity, but historically speaking, it is. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of opportunities to invest in pre-construction. It doesn't necessarily have to be in Toronto um but yeah yeah no that's fantastic um i think we probably covered
1: enough ground there for for round one of this uh we'll we'll definitely have you back and probably do a bit more of a more in-depth analysis maybe bust out some numbers and statistics look at how many you know condos are being bought by investors versus end users maybe unpack that a bit but um from toronto to calgary to to Costa Rica. If you have any pre-construction needs, or if you want to reach out to Jordan for any just questions or concerns, he puts out a ton of great content as well on on YouTube, and probably has one of the most one of my one of my favorite pieces of uh, Instagram content I've ever seen with his Inspector Gadget stuff. Jordan, if people want to find out
0: more about you, where can they do so? Uh, the best place to do it is definitely uh, YouTube. I have all my contact links right on YouTube. Um, so if you just, you know, YouTube, my name, Jordan Skrenko or also, um, pretty active on Instagram. Um, I would avoid me on Twitter. I'm a little toxic on Twitter. So I would go to Instagram <laughs> or YouTube. appreciate the honesty there. Sign people, me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dan,
1: any, uh, closing remarks, any final thoughts for Jordan here? Nothing. I uh,
2: I feel sufficiently convinced that pre-construction isn't as bad of an investment as I thought it was. So I appreciate it. I think our listeners probably got a lot of value out of it, and I like that you presented the full scope because you do get unfairly painted as a mega bull like pumper of pre-con. And I think you really gave us an kind of honest take on you know where the where the opportunities are, where the risks are, and how you can actually do
0: well in that space. So. Yeah, I hope so, man. Like, I think a lot of pre-construction brokers like to talk about pre-construction as if it's the only way to invest in real estate. But the amount of clients that come to me to buy pre-construction that I have then referred into resale deals is immense because the truth is that everyone's situation is different. There's a time and place for, for each avenue, I think. Love that. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on, Jordan. We'll talk to you
1: soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Centre and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037.
2: Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.